So is anybody else besides me occasionally given to eavesdrop on other people's conversations? Okay. Sean, you're like, oh my gosh, he's admitting it. <laughs> so I don't usually eavesdrop because I got enough going on in my own brain. I don't need to pick up other people's stories and things like that. Every once in a while, the Holy Spirit will say to me, you should go listen because there's something I want you to know. And if the Holy Spirit nudges me, I usually first thing I do is poke back at him because I'm like, I'm busy. But the other day, um, on one of our weekday mornings, though, I mean, it wasn't the other day, it was months ago. So months ago, in our student, in our cafe, Monday through Thursday, 9 to 12, sometimes there's half a dozen people in here if it's a really beautiful day outside. If it's a terrible day and school's out, there's 100, 100 plus people in here sometimes. And they're being ministered to, they're enjoying the kind of peace and fellowship of being in a safe space, letting their kids play and all that. So that's the context that I'm speaking of. And because our boys now are 23 and 26, 22 and 26, you know, we don't hear like giggles and kind of childhood stuff anymore. So one of the things I like to do um, when I don't have a meeting somewhere around or an appointment out of the building is I like to plant myself on one of the cafe tables and just kind of listen to the background music. You know, those of you that are, who are empty nesters or older, you know what that's like. You're like, I just want to hear kids that are a little bit fidgety, but they're not my problem. And <laughs> So, so that's why I love it. And then, you know, when it starts to get so crowded that people are standing and talking really loud and the kids are getting unruly, I'm like, okay, that's the, that's the cafe team's problem. I'm going to go upstairs and get back to work. Um, but so anyway, months ago, um, I was trying to pay attention, and I was for a while, until I heard two moms talking about parenting. One of them, I, this is so long ago, I don't get it verbatim, but one of the parents says to the other, one of the moms says to the other mom, she says, I need some parenting help, and they giggle and that sort of thing. And then she says, Joey is constantly saying the S word. Okay, now, now my ears perk up. I'm like, all right, all kids go through a swearing stage. <clears throat> Maybe I did. And I think to myself, well, I wonder how old Joey is, right? Is this like, you know, teenager, and he's kind of getting cranky? Or is, is it, you know, pre-adolescent, and he's just learning some new words at school and trying to share them? So... Anyway, I'm trying to figure that out instead of doing my work, when eventually I hear the mom say, hey, Joey and Missy, come back where I can see you. I'm like, okay, Joey's not in high school. <laughs> um, so at that point, I'm starting to focus in on what they're saying, and the moms return to talking, and the, the, the mom that started the topic, she says, you know, I know it's partially my fault because I say it too when I'm frustrated at home, when I hit my head, or even sometimes when I'm driving. And I'm like, I feel you there, lady, because <laughs> anyway, you don't need to know the details of that. But anyway, so they keep on talking, and then I realize maybe the Holy Spirit is nudging me, that this woman, this young mom, really must have so much on her plate, she's so hassled, that she resorts to cursing pretty frequently. I mean, not just in her car. And I thought to myself, I should pray for them. And so I, I, I'm thinking about, okay, what's the words that God should want me to pray? And then I hear her again say, hi, Joey. And I don't, now was my chance, right, to see Joey. So I, I look up, and I see Joey. He's, he's walking toward, he's coming out of the playset, walking toward her where she's in the cafe. And she says, he says, hey, Mom, I didn't say stupid to anybody the whole time. I'm like, oh. Stupid is the new S word. And I know for some parents that's really the fact. It, it wasn't that way when I was growing up. 
Um, that was an adjective for other kids, right? Um, so I stand up to get a little better look at the guy, you know, just like, who is this reforming cursor that we're talking about? So I, I, I lean over the, where the coffee is served now, the, the free coffee, and I, and I lean up just to see who Joey is. And he sees me looking at him, so I'm like, <laughs> hi. And he waves back, and he takes two steps for, forward toward me, and he says, hi, mind your own effing business. Okay, no, that's not true. Everything but the last part. Everything but... So how's that? The punchline gets a sigh, but when I tell you it's mostly true, then you're relieved and laugh. Okay, so that part wasn't true. I waved, and he probably drooled and turned around. I can't remember. But anyway, <laughs> lots of people tend to use bad or hurtful words. Won't, won't uh, do any self-discovery at this point, but... Sometimes people use bad or hurtful words, right? When they're angry, when they're feeling overwhelmed, but they seldom know sometimes how much those words can hurt. If you have ever sworn at in a, or not even swearing, just saying the truth sometimes in an unpleasant and cold way is enough to hurt somebody. And those of us who are parents know that particularly. We never want someone to hurt our children. Not just physically, but, but also equally much, not just emotionally. So this really matters to us. And so I want to say as we start here, snarky Jesus gets an attitude, and snarky Jesus calls them stupid. Um, I want to suggest to you that there is, there is a way to process why Jesus uses this word, stupid, and what we can learn from it, and what we can take away for our own lives. But first, I want to um, play a video clip where I think, um, well, I think a lot of this comes into play. Volume? As stupid does. Exactly. That's okay, guys. Don't worry about it. I must have set it up wrong. Um, yeah, so Jesus calls them stupid. Yeah, yeah good. Um, Jesus, call, Jesus calls people stupid, and someone like Forrest Gump is used to that kind of as a title for him, and he's got a response. Stupid is as stupid does, man, or Mr. Jones, or whatever. He's got a standard response. It's a little harder for us to have a standard response when we hear Jesus using that word. Um, so I want to have us think about what we learned last week in Matthew 25, uh, Matthew 15. Last week in Matthew 15, I focused on the Pharisees who were telling, asking Jesus, why do your disciples not wash their hands like they're supposed to? Why, why do your disciples um, do this and that? In other places we see, why are they picking grain on the Sabbath, right? Why do do they not wash their hands? Why do they not follow the dietary codes? All these things. And the point that Jesus made to them was that their words and actions matter a whole lot more than their dietary rules. The words and actions of a person matter a whole lot more than the old traditions, the madman traditions, and even some of the old biblical commandments, the Levitical rules of the Hebrew Scriptures of the Old Testament. But what we saw last week was that a lot of times 
Pharisees and temple leaders, heck, let's be real, church people like me, we don't want to give up the old ancient stuff because it makes us feel in control. It makes us feel like we know how the world should be ordered. That's why a lot of you, I know a lot of you come from liturgical backgrounds where there's the kind of Roman Catholic or, or traditional Lutheran Presbyterian or any other Protestant order of service, right? And you're used to that and there's a lot of good things about that because it brings comfort and consolation because it's predictable. Well, those Pharisees didn't want to give up following the rules, even if the rules sometimes got in the way of honoring and loving God. So Jesus challenged them, and he provoked them even. And he, if you'll remember a little bit, he used a little bit of colorful language, a little bit of potty talk. Um, and so I, I preached about that. I mean, not the whole sermon, right? wasn't on that. Um, but today, today we were going to look at something more, another difficult or somewhat sketchy bit of language that Jesus, is, Jesus uses. But I think what Jesus was saying last week was this. Don't try to prove you're right. You're, you're part of the right religious group. I mean, that's what the Pharisees were doing. Well, if you don't keep the dietary codes, if you don't, if you don't tithe like this, if you don't do this, then you're not in the in-group. You're not holy enough, and you're on the outside, and we're on the in. It's not about trying to prove you're part of the right religious group. But Jesus said, try to live out God's spirit. Try to live out God's love with the right spirit. And I think that is what we build on today. So, unfortunately, the Pharisees didn't kind of capiche that. They didn't, they didn't take that in and think, yeah, man, that new young rabbi is right. We've been doing everything wrong for all these centuries. Let's drop what we're doing, kind of lighten the load on our people, and, and just kind of follow him. Does that sound like a religious establishment? No. No, they didn't do that. In fact, they not only didn't want to follow him, they not only didn't want to expand their horizons, they not only didn't want to welcome a different interpretation to God's will, they flat out got offended. And then, as we move forward in Matthew 12, the disciples came to him and asked, do you realize you've offended the Pharisees by what you just said? Now, this is interesting that they say that because this was upsetting for people. And see, when Jared, Jesus says the Pharisees, he's usually talking about the Pharisaic leaders, right? Leaders of the political party of the Pharisees, you know, which is kind of the conservative um, religious party. He was talking about those leaders. He was talking about the, the, the rabbis, the conservative rabbis who ran some of the temples, the liberal rabbis also. Um, we can go to that another time. But he's talking about those kind of leaders, but in the Pharisaic party, there were also just regular, good old, hardworking lay people. I mean, mostly in the countries, less often in the big city like Jerusalem. And so what, what I think the disciples are trying to say, did you know how upset the Pharisees were by what you said? It wasn't just, oh, the Pharisees with power and influence are mad and you better watch out or you'll get in trouble, Jesus. I think that their disciples' hearts were breaking for the regular people who grew up their whole life long thinking the way to honor God and live an honorable life is to follow these rules and to be a little bit judgmental toward people who don't. Because that way we know who's in, who's good, and who's out and bad. So in a way, Jesus' go-ahead-and-break-the-rule attitude was kind of concerning for both. It was, it was giving more power or, or threatening to ignite the power that the Pharisees had against Jesus if he ticked them off too much, but it was also confusing 
the lay people who were used to a certain way of obeying rules and being confident that if they followed the right rules, they would have, in fact, a lot more success. So anyway, Peter tries to slow down the pushback that, that's starting to build, right? And so he says, he's trying to prevent damage, more damage from happening to Jesus' reputation and stop any more confusion among the good, honest, religious people who just wanted to know how to please God and how to live a productive and honorable life. So, look at this sentence and figure out, well, how would Jesus respond? I mean, we all know different stories. Of, I mean, I hope you know a few different stories of Jesus. That's kind of why we take this 25 minutes, 30 minutes uh, every Sunday, right? Um, but one of the stories is of Mary and Martha, where this is Lazarus's friend's sister's he and his disciples are, are traveling on the road. They stop at Mary and Martha's house for dinner or lunch. doesn't say exactly. But during this, during this stopover for lunch, one of the sisters, Martha, gets really angry at her other sister, Mary, for not helping in the kitchen. Instead, she's hanging around like a man listening to Jesus. So there's all sorts of stuff going on. And, and then Jesus says to her, says to Martha, 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 you're worried and anxious about many things. And he goes on to say, what Mary has found is what's truly important, and I'm not going to take it away from her. Paraphrased. But anyway, so maybe, maybe he treated Peter the same way. Maybe he said, Peter, I know where your heart is. Or the disciples, I know where your heart is. You're anxious and you're worried about many things, guys. But it's going to be all right. It really is. I'm just trying to help our Pharisee friends see what they're missing and try to get them to join the, join the team Jesus so they don't miss out on abundant life in this world and everlasting life in the next. I mean, that sounds like Jesus, right? Pastoral Jesus, pastoral, mellow, understanding, kind of would hold sheep and, she and, and lambs and children on his lap and bless them. Um, but that's not what Jesus says. What he really says is this. Later, his disciples came and told him, did you see how upset the Pharisees were when they heard what you said? Jesus shrugged it off. Every tree, he said, that wasn't planted by my Father in heaven will be pulled up by its roots. Forget them. They are blind men leading blind men. And when a blind man leads a blind man, they both end up in the ditch. So, if you've ever been part of theological conversations or arguments, anybody ever been in one of those theological disagreements? Okay, well... That's one of the fun parts of my job. <laughs> so I, I remember at a certain point hearing a lot of people say, you know what? If you don't preach the full, and the full counsel of God, you're like a blind man and you're leading the congregation into a blind man's pit. I'm like, well, there's another interpretation. Is I'm doing what Jesus did. See, Jesus wasn't, Jesus wasn't the one... It wasn't the Pharisees saying, you're a blind man, Jesus, and you're leading us all into a pit. It was Jesus who said that about the legalistic Pharisees. He said the about and to the legalistic Pharisees, you guys don't get it. It's not about keeping the rules. It's not about what goes into your mouth or which days you take off. It's about what comes out of your heart. That's what God sees. And in our terms, that's what changes lives with Jesus' love. So anyway, then Peter said, I don't get it. Just put it in plain language. And then Jesus, our Lord, Savior, and gentle Redeemer, says, not you. Are you being stupid too? This is the word it says. Most of your translations will not say stupid. They'll say, oh, you are so dull in understanding. 
or there's many things you haven't integrated yet into your worldview. But the word means stupid. The word means stupid. And it makes me think, whoa, Jesus is both angry at Peter, or exasperated, and he's causing Christians all over the world so much discomfort that the editors kind of have to soften it up so people won't go, whoa, Jesus needs the S word. I mean, stupid. And then I think, whoa, Jesus, slow down. This is Peter you're talking to. I mean, you know Peter, the, the big heavyweight disciple. I mean, not heavy in weight, but I mean, just the, the champion disciple. He walked on water just a few chapters earlier because he trusted you. You're the one you're going to build your church on to reach lives, countless lives, into the future. And he's the one who, for the sake of following you, was crucified, but he refused to be crucified upright like you were. He asked to be crucified upside down because he wasn't worthy of, t- of a death like that of his master. You, Jesus. So why are you calling this man of all people stupid? Why on earth? I don't think it was because he thought Peter really was. I mean, what is even the definition of stupid? Uh, you know, I think the technical definition is, you know, people who are incapable of processing information, or making sound decisions on a regular basis, most often it's used as kind of a pejorative, right? For people who disagree with you. So it wasn't because he thought Peter was dull in understanding. And I don't, think, I don't even think it was because he wanted to hurt Peter's feelings. But what causes us to say hurtful things? Really? I mean, if you're among the few who have, <laughs> what causes us to say hurtful things? You know, in my experience... <clears throat> in my own personal life. What causes me to say hurtful things is not that, I'm, that I hate anybody. It's not that I'm even particularly, I don't really believe what I say, but it's because I'm tired. I'm exhausted. I'm exhausted. And I think about, I think about Peter kind of hearing that word from Jesus, are you so stupid too? And just kind of turning your way, well, Maybe that maybe I am. You said it. And then kind of like a kind of like a pouting man, kind of walk away. But it, it didn't happen intentionally for Jesus to hurt his feelings. What had happened, I think, and this is the hundred percent man, right? Jesus is fully divine and fully human. This is building on the fully human part. I think the problem is, is Jesus was exhausted. It was he was exhausted in general. I mean, imagine all the things that Jesus had to process, all the things that were going through his mind. Jesus had to carry a responsibility for the disciples' well-being. He had to follow through the divine plan. He'd come up with the Father and the Holy Spirit about going to the cross. He, he had to stay sinless so that people would recognize that he was, in fact, the Son of God. And he had to do enough miracles to get people to believe that something new was happening, but not so many that he was like, you know, an overwhelmed doctor in a clinic, a free clinic on a Saturday. He had to balance all these things. And for those of you who carry responsibility in your lives, I mean, whether it's in business, whether you own a company or you run a department, whether it's in your home where you've got maybe kids who don't always see eye to eye and you're trying to love them each in their own way but not, not get overcome by the by the conflicts that they have, the name-calling that they do. Anyone who has any responsibility over any length of time knows what it's like to get exhausted. Some of you, you feel maybe like your life is under the microscope. 
Some of you feel like you've been bullied all your life, especially any kids in here. Sometimes that's something that really happens. It happened to me as a kid. Once in a while, I got bullied, and it made me really, really angry. Some of you are responsible for those things in other people's lives. You know, your employees, your, your someone else's children, or someone else's money, someone else's health, and maybe in extreme situations, whether someone else lives or dies. That's what exhaustion is. And I believe it's easy to snap when we're exhausted, not just at the crowd in general, although, you know, look at Facebook, that, that's a thing. <laughs> but it's also easy to snap at the people that are closest to us. Right? I think what's happening here is that, is that Jesus snapped at Peter because he loved Peter so much and Peter was one of the few safe people. I mean, he was a rough... If you watch the, the Chosen episodes, you watch that and you see, Peter's a tough guy. He can get his feelings hurt, but he bounces right back up. He's a tough guy that Jesus knew loved him, and he's a tough guy Jesus knew really wanted to follow the way, the way of Jesus. That's what the first church was called, the way. And so some of you might be like, okay, well, I see that, Dan, but let's get back to Jesus in the word stupid or Jesus in the potty language last week, okay? If Jesus is, is really doing that, if you're telling us that Jesus really said those words with the kind of translation vibe you're giving us, it tells me that you don't think he was sinless. And I believe Jesus was sinless. And I'd be like, um, there's another interpretation? People might say, I thought Jesus was happy when imperfect, broken sinners came to trust in him. So why is, why is Jesus so upset when imperfect, broken people let him down? Why would he say those things? Why would he get annoyed about us being imperfect? And I would say, well, remember, we say that Jesus was fully human, fully divine, but we kind of put a lot of load on Jesus like you've got to be perfect. Remember, our Heavenly Father is perfect, right? And Jesus in Scripture is, is said to be perfect, but what does perfect mean and what does sinless mean? I believe that as we dig down, we find out that there was a lot of things that exhausted Jesus. It wasn't just the pressure of being the leader. It was kind of disappointment in the people he was leading. Right? I mean, you've had that experience. I mean, maybe, the, maybe your family, you're disappointing the kids. I can't believe they did that. I'm so brokenhearted. Sometimes it's in your church. I can't believe they did that. I'm so brokenhearted. Sometimes it's in your team at work. I can't believe they did that. That is so messed up. We get disappointed in the people that we're closest to. I mean, think about Jesus. He spent three years with these guys trying to teach them a new and radical way of who God was and how to follow him. But these guys had grown up in such a law-based environment that even though they trusted Jesus, it was kind of hard to shake the, shake the shackles of, of the commandments off. Plus, they were snapping at each other. And it was, being like, it was like being in a long car ride with 12 disciples in the back seat. And there's always people throwing things, calling each other names, and finally you just want to pull over the car and tell them all the way to, they can walk themselves to Jerusalem, I'm going to drive in peace. Jesus snapped and called them the S-word. So I want to suggest that one of the things that, that we need to remember is just because we are hurt, or sad or mad, like Jesus was, doesn't automatically mean there's sin involved. I want you to think about that. There's a difference between sin 
and shock or sin and lashing out. Sin is something that happens naturally in the real world, but it's also something that happens intentionally from our heart. And the fruits of the Spirit that St. Paul talks about in Galatians, we heard about that two weeks ago, the, the fruit of the Spirit is the things that we need to nurture in the soil of our lives so that we don't lash out, we don't shock others more than, more than necessary. And you remember those. These are from Paul and Galatians. How the, not, excuse me, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Those are the things that we strive for if we are trying to walk the way of Jesus. And you might be like, well, I'm glad to hear, Dan, that Jesus is so human. It makes me feel less bad when I yell at the kids. Well, fair. That's good, right? We're, we're freeing you from micromanaging your individual sin behavior and letting go of it and saying, you know, God loves me just like I love my kids, and I'll just tell them the truth sometimes. And I'll put a little emotion in it, maybe a little drama, be a little extra, because mommy's tired, right? But what I've learned is how we produce fruit in our lives is we keep tilling the soil. We keep tilling the, the things that our lives grow. And I would say the answer is we, we just learn how to walk the way of Jesus. And I'm going to give you five earthly learnings that I've had about the way of Jesus. Um, the famous line, have you walked in their shoes? That's, that's acknowledging that each of us has limited perspectives. I have no idea what it's like to be an airline pilot and feel that kind of stress. I have no idea what it's like to be a police officer and handle that kind of stress. I have no idea what it's like to be a public school teacher. I have limited perspectives. So it's easy for me from the outside to kind of write a prescription for how they could do their job better. But I don't know because I haven't walked in their shoes. Secondly, all of us bring our own baggage and we can't see our own blind spots. That's why we have to be humble enough to let other people say, you know, you're saying that, but you're carrying a 45-pound suitcase full of your past anger that has nothing to do with this person you're mad at. We can't, we can't feel the weight of our baggage and we can't see our own blind spots all the time. So you need to stay close to people who can tell you the truth and inside stay curious about what else could be going on not just in other people, but in your own heart, in your own mind, in the, own tapes, in, in the tapes that your mind plays to yourself. Number three, there's usually an issue behind the issue. We all have triggers. And when something happens that we don't like or that strikes us the wrong way, sometimes we're triggered. Oh my gosh, and we spend a lot of time talking about the thing that triggered us instead of, instead of why there's a trigger there in the first place. There's usually always another issue that's not the issue behind the issue in you. Fourth, just because we disagree doesn't necessarily mean that one of us is wrong. You know, this is, this is a, I learned this at Kansas Leadership Center. For those of you who may be in business or nonprofit or government work, you know that KLC is a, a phenomenally nationally recognized institute for training teams and leaders in leadership. And one of the things that I remember there when we brought teams there a couple years ago was to explore multiple interpretations. They do this really interesting thing where each person in the small group sits in the center and then you've got everybody else in your small group, maybe that's another six, five, six, seven, eight people. 
and you tell them the story, or no, you, you've given them the story ahead of time, so they have a chance to read your you know, two to five page case summary. This is what I'm really agitated about. And then you present that in truthfulness and clarity. They read it over, and then you sit in this chair, blindfolded, and guess what the other people do? Do they kind of give you a shoulder of, oh, Dan, I feel so bad for you because what you said really sounds hard. No. <laughs> this is a leadership institute, not like, you know, a bottle feeding station. What they do is they, they say other possible interpretations. I don't even remember what the topic was, but, it, but I heard things like, Dan, is it possible that you're just so insecure about your position that you needed to do that? And I'd say, that's a possibility. Is it possible that that person just finds you annoying and doesn't want to be around you and you keep chasing them? Well, can't imagine that. But all of us got to hear these kind of aggressive interpretations, not because people really thought that, but their job was to be creative in thinking of alternate ex explanations for the reality that we described. It was a fascinating episode in my development as not only a leader, but as a, as a spiritual person. That kind of thing helps me walk in other people's moccasins, and it reminds me that I'm not always right. Which leads me to my last one. Being right isn't all it's cracked up to be. I've said that from the, from the stage. I've said that from the platform. I've said that in life. I've said it to some of you over beers or coffee or Olive Garden. I don't know. Because Jesus wasn't trying to be doctrinally correct. Jesus was trying to teach them the way of the kingdom of God. And in your marriage, how many of you think, you know what, if I could only show my wife how wrong she is, things would be better. If you tried it, you only did it once. In other words, do you want the team to win or do you just want you not to lose? These are some of the earthly things that I've learned as I've tried to make sense of my way through being angry, through being disappointed, through feeling messy things. But I want to suggest that what Jesus asks of us is not to just believe the doctrinal statements about him so we can say we believe in Jesus and we do it right, unlike those guys. But Jesus wants us to deeply and personally trust him and to trust him when he says to us, Come to me, all you who are weary and carry heavy burdens, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you, let me teach you, because I am humble and gentle at heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke, there is a yoke, there is a cost to following Jesus. But he says, my yoke is easy to bear, and the burden I give you should be light. Jesus calls people he loves the most stupid. But in the times we need to hear it, he calls us something far more true, far more powerful, far more eternal.